0: The Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host along with Ryan. This is a two-part episode that we are pleased to bring to you this week. Our first guest up is actor-comedian Kim Whitley. She's got a new podcast created by Lena Waith and Kim Whitley herself, aptly titled Kim. It's a new scripted comedy audio series that features an all-star cast, Including Sherry Shepard, David A. Arnold, Jess Hilarious, Jennifer Lewis, Oscar nominated actress Cynthia Revo, and so many more. So, Kim Whitley sits with Ryan in our very first segment to talk about her new comedy podcast. In our second segment, we interview writer director Elegance Bratton. He is the creator of the new film called The Inspection. It's a story about a young gay man rejected by his mother who finds unexpected strength, camaraderie, and support after he joins the Marines. This film is based and inspired on true events from Elegance Bratton's own personal experiences working in the military. And this episode is hosted by yours truly. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast with guests Kim Whitley and Elegance Bratton.
1: Doing good. Thank you for talking with me. I appreciate it.
2: Well, you oh.
1: for having me. So I, I feel like, well, I remember raising Whitley, right? And I feel like you were like, well, you know, they thought I was done with a series. They thought I was done, but now I got to use my first name in another series, but it's got to be audio now. And we weren't ready for it. I wasn't ready for it. Tell us how it came. What was that conversation with Lena Wade? How did you come up with this idea?
2: That is so funny. It was really Lena's the one who leaned into it. Lena was like, hey, we're going to make this an Audible series. I'm like, what? She's like, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be hilarious. So Lena is always, you know, she was the one driving the train and, um, you know, getting Audible involved and creating all the scripts Uh, Getting the writers up and then we cast it. So uh, she was like, it's going to be because we'll have even more liberties than you will with a reality show because Mm -hmm. it's scripted. So I was excited about that.
1: Yes. So it is hilarious. And I just going back to just being funny. I usually hear you for like five seconds. I'm on the ground, just laughing, like just hysterical. Laugh. And I'm just wondering when you got into comedy, did you know you were funny or was it just, I'm going to be a hundred percent real. And it is what it is like the cards just fall where they may.
2: Um, a little bit of both, but being funny, I come from a funny family. I'm not the funny one. People always ask who's the funny one. My brothers are hysterical. My cousin Kent, My brother, Kyle and Scott, let me tell you something. They're the funny ones in the family. Matter of fact, I was back home this summer in Cleveland at a class reunion and somebody from the school said, you know, you're not the funny one in the family. I was like, what? They were like, the funniest Whitley is Kent Whitley. I couldn't believe it. That's that's our, our cousin. And I was like, what? They said, between you, Kyle, Scott and Kent, Kent wins. I couldn't believe it. And then we all thought about it. We were like, yeah, Kent's pretty funny. So I come from a funny family.
1: Well, I can't believe that either. I mean, have they have they heard the Audible? Have they listened to the whole series together? Thank I mean,
2: you. come Thank on you. now. Absolutely. Yeah, they're pretty funny. So it, I, I've grown up with uh, funny. Mm.
1: Well, you know, speaking of just being surrounded by funny, we got to talk about Sherry Shepard and you guys amazing. Like, I just feel like it's comedy gold no matter what you guys do. And I thought it was hilarious to see you pop up on Sherry, her her talk show for listeners that don't know for a little bit as like a call. And it just went all the way left. I was like, only these two ladies can do a FaceTime. And it's this hilarious, you have to just talk about where does that come from? Cause you guys are so comfortable with each other. You can just riff left and right. And there's no stopping
2: it. You know, I think the friendship, uh, Sherry and I, we have been friends for so many, we both were broke. We lived across the street from each other. I went into Sherry's apartment one time and there was no furniture. There was nothing but wigs. I was like, how do you survive on just wigs? What is wrong with you? And Why don't you have any furniture? <laughs> but, I mean, I think her, her driver's license was revoked. She was, she was like, oh my God. So we've known each other through the struggles, through the marriages, through the kids, through the successes. And when you know someone like that you're you're comfortable and you can laugh about things and i think that's what happens when you have uh the chemistry we and that's how even our pod, you know the podcast that we did together just started out of during the pandemic you know let's just talk and have fun but record it.
1: Yeah, and it's so easy and it's so cool to listen to because you think about the time we're in and the time, and you guys can kind of make us laugh about, you know, the pain a little bit and help us kind of push through it because it's like, oh, well, somebody else is having this issue. And, you know, if you don't have everything else, you got your wigs, you look good, right? so People are thinking <laughs> this, you know, if you look good, you feel good, right? That's going to propel you to your next thing that you're going to do. Absolutely. So it's it's so amazing what you guys do on camera. And then I have to ask though, because one of the funny parts I thought in one of the episodes was, okay, so her ransom was only $34. That's all you had to pay to get up at?
2: Oh, wow, that's a, we were trying to think of one of the funniest lines in the in the Kim uh, podcast original uh, series. So let me tell you something: the Audible original uh, Kim. When you listen to this, there are so many great lines. But when Myra says they had to pay thirty-four dollars for my ransom, I screamed. I was laughing so hard, and I knew the line was coming up, but it's so silly. So there are a lot of lines uh, in this show. And when mm-hmm. Sherry came on to do uh, the Kim um, original, Audible original that, you know, I was like, uh, Sherry, you're going to be the play this part. And she is so good. Voice acting is so different. Yeah. But Sherry, she said she listens to it every night in her dressing room. I was like, why are you just listening to it over and over again? She was like, you know, I think I could have been better. So... It's, it's really funny it's fun uh to have your friends on uh the kim audible yeah you will be listening like people
1: don't believe it now because they haven't got the experience but you will be listening to this constantly because i i was just listening to another episode of because i just want to know because it's it's just so real and you know you bring into the kid element you know having that realness of having to be a mom having to talk to your kids and you think about everything they're going through today. In the episode about afterlife, I was like, oh gosh, well, how is this one is gonna go? Like, how how's she gonna explain this? You know, to Trey, like what is gonna happen? What was that like for you to kind of bring that out? And what are you hoping, you know, moms kind of get from that and just that ease, that comfort of like trying to talk to your kids? It's not easy to do that.
2: No, it's not, but I, I I really think that Kim shows mothers because Kim is a comedian and she's struggling. It's it's really her son. Well. Her son, uh, Travante is growing up with her, with mm-hmm. the struggles she's going through. So when something happens, we are really showing parents that you have to be honest. The world is not nice. And this is what happens. I, I think instead of, of shielding them from the truth, we're hurting them more. Let them see it and then let them ask questions. And I think that's what, when Lena, um, uh, came up with this and with her writers and and Mark Alton Brown that we want it to be real but be funny because you can always feed people their medicine with a little sugar on it a little easy yeah yeah
1: I like that now you talk about honesty right and just kind of you know calling people out in a sense but trying to be there for them as well do you think Kim did too much for Monica that character you know I mean you can't leave a you're never gonna leave a kid just out in the cold right like you got to do what you got to do
2: but she, Monica was a piece of work. Monica is definitely a piece of work. And thank God, just hilarious. Killed that role. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Kim. Yes. Kim does too much. She does it to the detriment of herself, but she's, she's helping everyone. And then she loves Travante. So she has to help, you know, she has to help Monica because she wants her to be around if she leaves monica then she's afraid monica might come back and get Travante. Right. so you have to be able to balance that
1: now what is what is the easiest thing or what's the most challenging thing about doing an audible because you're not it's, it's different from a tv series so it's a little bit taken away but if you had to rate like the pros and cons what's the
2: di- what's the biggest difference i would say the best thing about doing an audible is that you can do it in your pajamas That's the best thing. And you don't have to go through (laughs) hair and makeup. Uh, The hardest thing is voice acting to -hmm. make sure you are absolutely putting out the best, I would say, the best acting Uh that people can relate to the story. And then when I say because you have to understand, people have to use their imagination when listening to an audible they have to create the world that we're giving them, and each individual is going to create their own world. If I'm listening to it, I might think the background is purple. Another person might think they're outside and it's it's grass, but they don't hear the crickets. You put the crickets in there, you know you're outside. Your other person oh, might not hear. Yeah. It's a whole world. You're just in it, and I think that's what's so exciting about an audible that we are tapping into other parts of our brain. And I didn't know that until I did this show. And you sit back and you listen to it, it's kind of juicy. Oh. You know, like, because it's it and the reason it's juicy is because we've been using our eyesight for so long that now when you just use your ears, you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's giving me a little something, something. So that's yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because I remember, this is the last little thing I'm gonna get away because you guys gotta check it out. I'm not gonna say anything else. I want them to check out, listen to all the little nuggets. But Trevante, you teach them how to ride a bike, right? And you hear every little thing of like what a mom would go through like you hear the eye and like he's screaming and you hear the and you want to see it because like you said you're so visual it's acted out so well and you can hear the sound effects and you're like oh I gotta see this what does it look like even though we know what it's like when you're trying to teach a little kid how to ride his bike and how they fall down but that's just what this audible does what this world does when it's done properly you know when you said when you get in that booth and you can hear every little sound effect and you can visually just see where the story's going.
2: Right, and I'm and really I want to I got to give it up to of course Audible and OBB Sound, but then Lena with Hilton Grad, all the people that can because you're absolutely this was not that simple, and when they put it together because I imagine I wonder how you imagine that scene. I'm not no you tell me and then I'm gonna tell you what I saw when she's teaching them how to ride the bike. you, You go ahead and describe it to me. What did you see? Okay, so first, he had to get the
1: bike from the neighbor. So I'm thinking she's standing across the way. He runs over, like, you know, kind of, kind of timid. Cause like, my mom really stand behind, go over here and grab this mm-hmm. bike and come down. He gets on the bike. I see it kind of shaky, like he's a little wobbly as he goes yeah. down, right? Uh-huh. And she's like, no, you got it. You got like Pierce, I always say, you got it when you're just like, where we going? Where we going with this? And they're like, oh, you got it. And just let him go. And I just see it. He gets like maybe five seconds away, a couple steps away, boom. Just like, cause that's how I was. When I first learned like, had to ride a bike, you didn't get anywhere. Like they were like, oh, I'm gonna let you go. It's good. You're good. you good. And nope, you finish, as soon
2: as you get that little partner payment, you out, you done. Now look how juicy that was. And you just used your own imagination. And your right. Mind. Yeah. Because you have to think as the actors, we're doing the same thing. We're reading, yep. but we are imagining what we're seeing. Of riding the bike, I felt like there was a bump in the road. There was a tree that was growing up, like all of that stuff. So, thank you so much for uh, allowing me to ask you that question.
1: Hey, it's fun, and this is—I would talk about this all day because I love
2: this. It's it, this is the new medium that
1: we're going to, and when you can do it like this, it's amazing because oh. you can't even think about how this world is gonna is gonna explode and it's brilliant. So, I gotta ask you, wrapping up here, what's like what are the genres you doing next? I'm I'm a you know I'm a nerd, so you like you doing in superhero voices? Like what's coming out next?
2: you know what I do appreciate that you know I am uh you know what I'm gonna wait for season two we we get a pickup I I want everyone to go ahead and 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 rate the 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 audible I want them to leave you know and we go to the next and you know me I'm still you know doing my Weight Watchers ambassador work I've been working on campaigns right now and it's just been a different world and I'm still raising my son Joshua Mm. Who is the inspiration for Travante. So, uh, you know, life is good. Uh, but I think, you know, you never, I never thought that this Audible would be so good. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, you know what? Thank you, Ken, for just being a badass
1: and just jumping into whatever. And we just excited to see it. I just can't wait. It's so cool to see you in these different mediums. I was like, did that- Say, hey, "Kim was doing an Audible original series." Say like, what? But it's, it was dope, so
2: I'm here for it. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you spreading the word.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. You guys definitely check it out. And like she said, give the ratings, click it up, let it know. You know, we need the diversity. Up. Any mediums you get, keep it going because we want to hear it.
2: That's right. Thank you. Thank
1: you so much, Kim. I appreciate it. Thank you for being a good interviewer.
0: Thank you so much elegance for coming on the black girl nerds podcast to talk about your gift of a film, the inspection. I had the honor and the privilege of seeing it at Toronto at the Toronto international film festival. And it was such an honor and a joy to see everybody in the crowd react to the film and to see you guys up there, um, obviously embracing it with us and watching it with the audience. So, Inspection is a story that is very close to you because it's based on your personal experiences. Can you share with us what inspired you to share such an intimate story on the big screen and the process of putting all of that together?
3: Sure. Um, well, I'll start with the with the be- at the beginning. You know, when I was sixteen years old. I was kicked out of my house because I'm gay, and I spent the better part of the next decade homeless. And um, by the time I was twenty five, I was you know in a shelter and without many very many options so i ended up uh, enlisting in the marine corps and by the time i arrived at boot camp i thought i was pretty worthless i was definitely at the rock bottom you know my identity who i was i felt was responsible for the catastrophe that my life had become and that many of the things that i heard growing up were actually true that i had no future and that I I was basically useless being gay. And I was fortunate enough to have a journalist to remind me and, and tell me that all of those negative thoughts were a lie. That in fact, I had a purpose, which was to protect the Marine to my left and to my right. And that purpose made me essential. I made my life important. And I clung to that, you know, because I needed to hear something like that to change my life. And that's why I made the film. You know, I think right now we're in a time where things are highly polarized between left and right. And we are, as a global community, screaming at one another across our differences. And perhaps I found out this egalitarian lesson in an unusual place, you know? Um, but nonetheless, this is the message I wanna get forth. You know, I hope that anyone who's ever felt abandoned or disregarded or under underestimated after they watch the inspection, they know that they matter. They know that they're enough because of that shared responsibility, that that kind of mutual collaboration.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you put out a film like this um, because you're so right. We are in a very polarizing society. There's this left versus right. And um, there's just a lot of hate that's happening in the world. And what I really loved about the inspection obviously without giving too much away is that there is this arc that happens this beautiful arc in the story where there is acceptance um and i and i really love that is is that something that you had experienced um in your in your own uh situation when you were in the military
3: yeah for sure i mean all of it is inspired by real life events the good the bad and the ugly you know mm-hmm. um that being said there's a a sense of camaraderie you get in boot camp that it's just funny because when you're in boot camp all you want to do is leave you you miss your mcdonald's you miss your chinese food your 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 significant other that you left behind Mm -hmm. and the moment boot camp ends you miss boot camp right it's it's the most intimate of spaces that i've really ever experienced and as an out black gay man you know like this movie is not about a person who's like trying to figure out what they are necessarily. It's about a person who's trying to figure out how to be who they are in the world successfully. And one of the things that helped me in my military career was like I just had camaraderie. I have friends. I still have friends from the Marine Corps. We're, we talk every day. You know, we are deeply in each other's lives. We've got godchildren, you know, a couple of them have now picked up the camera and want to become filmmakers. Wow. So you know, um I have some meaningful Lifelong connections in the Marine Corps. At the same time, I'm not trying to overshadow the fact that it was difficult. I served during Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I served in an openly homophobic environment that the mix between the loneliness of having to hide myself and the constant culture of derision around homosexuals, both personal to me and just in general, you know, that's definitely left scars. But the beautiful thing about it is, you know, every family is dysfunctional. And the family that I found. Maybe they were at times bullying towards me, but let anybody else step to me, you know, and all of a sudden we're all on you. So I think, you know, th- this this is a movie is dedicated and, and kind of inspired by it, the idea that more than one thing can be true at the same time.
0: Absolutely. And it's reflected perfectly in, in the movie. As, as a director working with actors who are portraying your story, what do you find the most challenging about that experience? And what do you find the most rewarding about that experience?
3: I think the most challenging thing about the experience, and it's really a compliment to, you know, Gabrielle and Jeremy, Bokim and Raul and and the whole cast, is how protective they were of me, you know? And if they, as performers, had issues with the scene, sometimes it was like pulling teeth to get it out of them. You know, because they didn't want to trespass they didn't want to disrespect and you know it's um sometimes people in the i've come across people in this business who kind of look at things in a very industrial almost corporate mentality and the actor is there to kind of punch in say their lines and punch out and these actors never brought any of that to me they they brought their whole selves all the time and and just being and, and for me being vulnerable right like my mom she you know, she was killed a few days after the movie got greenlit. And oh. I had held out a lot of hope that this movie would reach my mother, you know? Mm. And so as a result, you know, we shot this about, you know, seven, eight months after all that happened. So that just in, in tandem with their respect of the material was their care for me and the grieving that I was going through. So th- it proved a challenge just to be like, listen, okay, look, I might be crying, but I'm okay. I might look angry but it's not with you <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, um that kind of thing um and then um just just in general the biggest challenge was just the timing that we had you know we were promised 23 days but we shot during COVID, and we shot in the summer in mississippi so it's like 115 degree days and mm. it's just so hot and it, it, oh my god it's so hot and then covid happened and we ended up getting shut down for 4 months and when we came back we lost 5 days so the movie you saw was shot in 19 days so just the kind of day to day stress logistical stress of that of having to really adjust on the fly and and keep keep sight of that the the essence of emotional truth became like my little personal mantra because the details had to be different now that essence of emotional truth had to be maintained and that's kind of like how i got through the process of transforming my life into a film aspects of my life into a film
0: going back to your mother you had mentioned that she had passed before the film was released did you manage to ever find peace with her before her passing
3: i made peace with my mom before she passed you know my mother she's the first person to ever really love me completely she's also the per- first person to reject me wholly um you know my mom was an orphan she had me from the time she was 10 she had me at 16 and she's a complicated woman so by no means did we ever reconcile fully but i think i made peace with the fact that I had to, you know, get on with my life and I always left that door open.
0: Thank you for sharing that. You know, there's some really great performances in this film and Jeremy Pope is so incredible in this story. Did you play a role in his casting at all? And and what was it like working with him?
3: Uh, Jeremy, I played, I definitely. Played a role in this casting. I I took no prisoners <laughs> and <laughs> made sure it was Jeremy Pope in this part, oh, which nice. is you know just. I mean, it was it was great because the studios were really really supportive. It just takes a minute to get everything into place so that it can it can do what it needs to do to be successful. And I'm just grateful that Jeremy had the patience for the process. And you know, once he once we started working together, he's just such a he's such a, a prepared performer we had so many conversations about just my life in general we just talk for you know the months preceding production and, and you know any moment in the script he would have these really insightful questions to kind of like dig into my past and just understand who i was at that time but i was also very clear that i wasn't asking him to you know impersonate me or, or become me or anything like that um, you know, casting someone like a Jeremy Pope is really important to me because he's an out Black queer actor. And, you know, I, I grew up as a Black gay man, but gay kid, not really seeing myself in movies. We don't get to be the heroes of films very often. So, you know, who I am as a Black gay man is this kind of like melange, Frankensteinian melange, of like whatever glimpses of myself I kept caught in pop culture, you know. And Jeremy and I would talk often about what it would have meant to us to have a movie like the inspection of a character like Alice French, how that could have helped us grow up easier, you know? Um, and I think that, that that lack of representation on screen, it can reflect the the status, the social status that you hold in society at large, you know? And, you know, the, the disappearance or the erasure of Black queer men, Black gay men is such a part of the fabric of American life that people don't even look up to notice when it happens anymore. You're almost promised an early erasure, an early and unremarkable death as a black gay man in the society. So to have Jeremy play this role and to be so excellent. I mean, and I, and I don't, it sounds awkward to say for me that I don't like talking about my work that way because I don't want it to come across you know, vain in any way, but I can see that Jeremy's an, a really professional actor, a really high quality, so good at his job, you know? And I think his authentic, bringing his whole authentic self to his career provides an example for generations of Black gay men of what it could look like to thrive in your own skin. And I think that's really important.
0: I completely agree. He is so good at what he does. I've been a fan of his of both the film and stage for quite some time. So I was so happy to see him in a leading role on on this big film that you've created. So uh, 100% wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. And going back to talking about black queer representation, uh, the landscape of films about LGBTQ stories are, are certainly shifting, but is there still more work to do and what, opportunities are there out there for Hollywood when it comes to that kind of representation?
3: I think that there's definitely more work to be done when it comes to representation. And I think that very often it's easy to be caught up in what's happening on screen. And obviously I'm very caught up in what's on screen. But even with the inspection, if you look behind the scenes, right, we are produced by this powerhouse Black woman, uh, Effie T. Brown. My (laughs) And her producing partner is my husband and a gender non-binary person, Chester O'Donnell Gordon, who's also Mm African-American. Our executives at the studio are Black and queer and female and um, even the crew itself is very, you know, diverse, queer folks, disabled folks, elderly folks, you know, um, Middle Eastern folks, Black folks, white folks, you know, so I think that, that behind the scenes representation is really, really important because it's going to impact how easy it will be for the next person who wants to tell a story, the next Black queer person who wants to tell a story like this to make that story. I, I, I would be remiss if I weren't to, to acknowledge that I had such an incredible support system behind the scenes who I didn't have to explain myself to, I didn't have to do the work of humanizing my experience for. And gratefully, you know, 824 is a place that really, um, prides itself on being with the future of things, right? And listening to these incredible people, these, you know, diverse people that they've hired to, and trusting them to be right about a film like The Inspection, you know, so, and and Game Changer Films with Effie C. Brown, you know, th- this is literally her mission as as an artist. I joke with her sometimes and I'm like, Effie, you're, you're not a producer. You're the Harriet Tubman of in, independent film. <laughs> 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 <She's>, Love that. <laughs> she always... She's just like, she's just like, you're crazy. like, just stop, stop. But I think it's true. I think she's really, you know, kind of finding folks like myself and like Chester and like really like taking them on her back and saying, come on, come into this business. and I've got you. And I think more of that, we need more Effie Browns. We need more of an executive culture like that exists at A24. And, you know, and and I think, but I think people are on their way. I think people are interested in creating that. So, you know, I'm very optimistic about it. But I would be remiss if I were to say that, you know, one film represents, you know, a sea change, but one film can be an example of the right direction to go.
0: Absolutely. And we here at Black Girl Nerds absolutely love Effie Brown. She's great. Um, And also uh, I love what you say about the behind the scenes representation. Because sometimes when the conversations about representation are discussed, It's always about in front of the camera and, you know, seeing black faces and seeing uh, faces of color. And that's important. But there's a structure involved right there. There's a system. It's systemic. So we've got to be in all of those areas where it comes to below the line positions, above the line positions in entertainment. So I'm so glad that you brought that out and uh, brought that up. And then people like Effie Brown, who are producing Really great content. Um, she's she's amazing. And another woman that we love here at Black Girl Nerds is Ms. Gabrielle Union. Yes, <laughs> we live, we get our life, we fan all those good things. <laughs> we live for Gabby. And she really gave her all in this movie. And I was truly captivated by her performance. What, what was the process like getting her prepped to play this role? both emotionally and physically, because she undergoes this incredible transformation in the film.
3: Right. Um, well, I, you know, I I, get, I bristle at questions like this. Because I don't ever want to reveal the, the strings in the magic. Really, where does the rabbit come from out of the hat, you know? but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Gabby would want me to acknowledge the fact that we had an incredible uh, makeup team and hair team. uh, Dorico, uh, uh Jackson was her hairstylist and... Uh, Our our makeup artist, Ren and uh, Amanda, uh, both kind of we all worked together to create a look that was indicative and inspired by my mom. You know, my mom was like the prettiest black girl on her block. You know, when she was growing up, she was highly sought after. But when people got with my mom, they soon discovered that you know behind that delicate facade was a fierceness and a ferocity and an urgency. And I think Gabrielle has that type of dichotomy as well as a performer where, I mean, she's just so incredibly beautiful. It's just undeniable. But then you look a little closer and you see a steeliness under that beauty. And all of a sudden, you know, that thing that, you know, should be treated delicately, people start to fear, you know? So I felt that she kind of had this quality innately um additionally my mother passed she was killed a few days after the movie was greenlit um and you know i i spoke to gabrielle about that and I, and I just gotta say you know i'm very grateful to gabrielle for taking on the challenge of of portraying in french at this time because a lot of the actresses would have you know, walked away from it thinking that it was just too much to to live up to uh mm-hmm. you know a grieving son um remembering a mother who broke his heart but gabby just dove head in and she held me down. Like she was, you know, she's a mentor to me professionally, but watching her work as an artist was just this accident. You know, I say, Occidental education. You know, it, it wasn't anything that I thought I, I knew I needed to learn, but watching her professionalism and how she understands herself in relation to the camera, and you know, um, her relationship with Jeremy, and how she built that mother son bond in such a short amount of time. She was only on set for like three days, wow. uh, so you know, it was really really special to watch them work together. Uh, every piece of jewelry that Gabrielle wears wears in the film is my mother's. Uh, the Bible that she uses in the film is my mother's. The way she styled is to look like my mother. Um, and, you know, I, again, I'm just so grateful to her that she brought her whole self in. And and, it, and honestly, you know, she exists in the film to speak to our Black community. She is someone that we pay attention to. So I just get so many bonuses out of this. Uh, not only do I have a great actress, a great artist, but I also have an activist and a superstar who whose, you know, very identity and culture is relevant to the issue that I'm bringing up. So I, I'm just, you know, it's an embarrassment of... Of riches and i feel really grateful that to, to gabrielle took on this challenge
0: oh we're, we're grateful to see her just shine on screen and to see her in a completely different role i for the first time i actually disliked gabrielle union watching her play um your mother in this film because there there, there was this moment this one particular scene that still strikes me it still you know even makes me want to weep inside where um, Jerry Pope's character, you know, playing you, um, has, you know, been homeless, been out in the street, and unfortunately hasn't been able to bathe, you know, lacks hygiene, and he wants to sit on the couch, and she tells him to get off of the couch. Um, that was just, that was a moment for me. Did that happen to you between you and your mother?
3: Well, I think that, you know, Again, this movie is 100% autobiographical when it comes to the hopes, fears, desires, and motivations of Ellis French, even if it's not a situation that I've been through myself. Mm. Uh, However, the dynamics between his mother and him are 100% real. Uh, That being said, the whole idea of being queer in uniform, being a, a, a form of oppression, like being forced to serve in silence. You know, Don't Ask, Don't Tell comes along in the 90s. But in actuality, it was eight years worth of of silence enforced on queer service members. So Ellis French has to be more than me, you know. Mm. He he, and and Ellis is very much the creation of Jeremy and I. And it's not to say that we don't use our personal experiences as a launching pad. But you know, I'm not brave, like Ellis is brave. I'm not like, <laughs> you know, when I was in boot camp, I was trying to blend into the wallpaper. I wasn't trying to stand for who I am, you know? I was, you know, so there's, there's, there is an element of poetic license in it to how his story com- unfolds. But all that to say, if you've ever been gay or black in America, the idea of your presence connotating filthiness, dirtiness, is a part of the stigma that we carry and it's enforced on us, you know, like a term like gentrification is very much a code word for ethnic cleansing and nine times out of 10, those that are being, you know, gentrified out of an area are probably people of color and most likely black. So, and you know, homosexuals in society, you know, there is hope. That's the nature of homophobia is that by, by virtue of being deviant, you are somehow unclean. So, sure my mother made me feel unclean and deviant in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Um and that being one of them. But you know, it it was also the language I grew up with. I had versions of this script where there were much more hateful things that she said. And I realized that you know movies are about showing and telling, not so much about speaking. I mean it's about both, but for me, I, I, I like to lean on the side of the show rather than the tell. And um you know, so that action of putting the newspapers down on the couch before you sit. You know, that is definitely a way that I've been ostracized in my house, but yeah. the way it shows up in film is, is much more pronounced because of the demand of the cinematic.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, the way you um, showed that artistically was just perfect. Sometimes you just, you don't have to say it, just showing it um, is, is just the way to do it. Elegance, listen, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. This film is absolutely brilliant again i I had the opportunity to see this in toronto um and i'm so happy and thrilled for you for the nationwide premiere i can't wait for everyone else to see it Uh, for those of you guys listening please please go see this movie it's beautiful and it has a great message a great heartfelt message in the end so again elegance it's a pleasure and thank you for coming on the black girl nerds podcast to chat with us Thank you for
3: having me. I love black girls. I love nerds. This is like Shangri-La for me. So thank you so much. <laughs>
0: thank you. You take care.
3: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. The black girl nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Broadnax and Ryan Bennett. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify.